Well, the place that we met up all the time on this STM trip was at the Airbnb. And the Airbnb, we rented this place that was on a lake. And we weren't really sure if you would actually go on the lake. It was one of those like four or five houses were around the lake. But we had some lake access. And what ended up happening was throughout the week, that became the landing zone for so many people. And people started going on the lake. And they got excited about going on the lake. And people like Bo, people like Berger, people like Ashton, they started turning into fishermen and frog hunters, snake hunters even. There was a rumor about an alligator. I don't know if that was true or if that was just a rumor, but uh, yeah, there's some wildlife on there, and it's kind of fun. People got on their kayaks, and they, they went and started fishing things, and I was like, I don't know if these guys are really going to fish. When I heard at the first time, like, oh, people want to go fishing, I'm like, okay, yeah, have fun, uh, go for it. But then people started buying fishing rods and uh, fishing bait. I don't think they got any real bait, but they had some of that fake bait from Walmart. I think the best fishing rod I saw was Austin's fishing rod. It was a Frozen themed, like the movie Frozen. It had Elsa on it. It was baby blue. But it worked though. Like they caught a lot of fish and they'd just catch them and throw them back, catch them and throw them back. I wonder if they caught the same fish like 10 or 15 times. I don't know if that's how it worked. But uh, at some point they started throwing something on the other end of that fishing rod and they started catching fish. They're trapping fish. And at nighttime, some of these guys, I never went so I don't really know if this is true, but they started catching frogs. I don't know how they caught frogs. They did something to or lure them there. I saw one picture. This might you know, be animal abuse, but they caught a frog, and then they started showing it. You know that, uh, you know that video that like, takes that black and white circle and spins it around, like the hypnotizing thing? They showed that to the frog. I don't know if that sedated the frog or what happened, but that frog was pretty docile. I, yeah, I... I think that was, that was not my doing, but uh, it happened allegedly. So uh, anyway, but in all those things, these, uh, these guys started thinking, let's just trap these animals. Let's just do it. And they, uh, they were successful. I think that's how it works with every kind of trap, right? They got to have something on the other end of the line that's alluring enough to at least get you to bite. That's how any trap works, whether it's a trap of words, whether it's a trap with animals, whether it's a trap with fish, or whether it's a trap with your life. Uh, there's got to be something on the other end that's alluring enough to get you to bite. I want to tell you this morning that one of the most powerful traps that Satan has in this world that traps more young people who are growing up, some of them in church, some of them not in church, one of the most powerful traps that he uses to get people to go off the path of life and to go whatever way they want to go is the trap of sexual immorality. It's one of the most powerful traps he has because it's a powerful emotion, a powerful feeling, and he can utilize that to get you to break God's rules and go off the path of life and to do whatever you want. It's the most powerful trap. And it's powerful because there's something alluring and even something that might be perceived as good on the other side of it. But God's word has a lot of warnings for us that as we think about sexuality and romance and love, that God gives some very strict parameters and not because he doesn't want you to have a good life, but because he wants you to have a good life. Because he wants to present to you the path of life with true fulfillment. And there's just so many things that you can do that make that hard and make it worse for yourself. That's why this morning it would be appropriate for us to turn our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 7. To look at what this father tells this son about sexuality, about love, about romance. Really, I've told you this before, but chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Proverbs. They talk about a lot of different things, but the overarching theme is this father's telling this son, you need to live in a certain way so that you will avoid the sin of adultery. 
right? Adultery is the technical word in the Bible. Really what it's referring to is having sex with someone who's not your spouse. Having sex with somebody who's married to somebody else. Or maybe you're married and having sex with somebody that's not your spouse, right? That's what the word adultery means. It's in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. That's the specific meaning but even as we dive into this, he will talk about sexuality more broadly, and that's why it's very important for us. Even though you're thinking, oh, I'm not married, I'm not really tempted you know, to commit sexual immorality with a married person, uh, because that's what this text is talking about. This text is instructive because it shows us how easily we fall into the trap of sexual immorality, and it shows us how to get out. Proverbs chapter 7, um, really it starts in chapter 4, 5, and 6, um, and in chapter 5, just even before we get to the beginning of Proverbs 7, we see this instruction, and he says, I want to give you this wisdom so that you'll avoid the forbidden woman, or the adulterous woman, and the idea is not that he's thinking of one individual lady, what he's talking about is there's a lot of people, whether you're a guy or a girl, that will try to persuade you to commit some type of sexual immorality, right? So don't read this, ladies, and think, oh, this is all you know, negative towards ladies, the only point is, there's a good lady and there's a bad lady. The good lady's going to come up in chapter 8. But the bad lady here is in chapter 9 that's trying to persuade this son to commit immorality. But there's just as many bad guys that will try to persuade you ladies to commit sexual sin too. Perhaps there's even more than there are bad girls in the world. But that's a, an opinion. Anyway, this text is all about sex. And by the way, that's why um, we're going to talk about sex and we're going to talk about it in this setting. I just need you to know that so many people in this room, and perhaps you, have an unbiblical view of sex. You might not think about sex in the way that God describes it or in the way that the Bible describes it. And I want to kind of help remedy that. So before we even look at any particular point in Proverbs 7, I want you to write this down for point number one. I want you to understand what the Bible really says about sex. Understand what the Bible really says. And why I say really is because it says a lot about sex and it's not maybe what you think. When I think about our group, I think maybe we might go wrong in two extremes. There's two sides, unbiblical sides of sex that you might find yourself in the ditch. It's like those country roads we drove on, right? There's ditches on either side, right? You only stay safe right in the middle, right on top. There's two ditches on either side. One side of unbiblical thinking about sex is this, the most common in our world, that you or me or anybody else should not say anything about sexuality, about anybody. Everything is free range with one exception, as long as it is between two consenting adults. That's the prevailing sexual ethic of today. That like nobody should stand in judgment or say this is better or this is worse. Nobody should say that about any kind of sexuality. It doesn't matter what it is as long as it's between two consenting adults. As long as they're able to give consent. Now, it's good to give consent, but um, the text that we're about to look at, I just want to challenge you if you think that way, the text we're about to look at talks about sex between two consenting adults. And God calls it wrong. Okay. So just because there's consent on both sides doesn't mean that God thinks it's okay. And for a lot of you, you already know that. But some of you come in here thinking, okay, like I, I'm ready to disagree with what Pastor John is going to say and what the Bible is going to say because, you know, it, it really should just be fine as long as it's between two people who are consenting. Okay, I want to challenge you on that, first of all, because there's a God who made you and he gives description about what sex is and what sex isn't, what's good for you and what's bad for you. And anything that we're going to talk about today that comes from God's word is going to prove true in your life. It will prove true. Because here's what I mean by that. You could reject everything that's said in Proverbs 7. and Say, I don't want to listen to this. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Obviously, you're free to do that. But if you do that, your life will bear the fruit of what Proverbs 7 says. You will feel in your own life and in the life of others the effects 
that are exactly what God's word says about going away from his design. Guilt, shame, fear, all those things. Effects on family, all, it will all happen, just like Proverbs 7 says, even if you're a person who says, I don't want to listen to what you're saying. And I understand, a lot of you don't want to listen to what I'm saying. But all I'm telling you is, this morning, this is not my opinion. This is not some, you know, you know, opinion, you know, some thing that I put together. Like, we want to go to what God's word says. You can disregard my opinion, right? I'm not going to try to give you as little of my opinion this morning as possible because this is such a serious topic, okay? Um, that's one side of you. There's another side of you, perhaps here at True North, that's on the other side of the ditch with an unbiblical view of sex because some of you think this, even when I talk about sex, like, stop using that word, John. I don't want to hear you say the word sex. Um, I don't want to think about sex. Sex is wrong, dirty, gross, and it, I don't even know why we're talking about it. Some of you think that here, okay? That is also unbiblical. That's also not what God has to say about sex. I want to give you some passages to write down in point number one. Um, the first one comes in Genesis chapter one, Genesis 1:28. Kind of an odd thought, but right after God made a man and a woman, do you know what his first commandment was to them? What's the first thing God told them? Listen to this. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Okay? Kind of odd, right? But one of God's first commandments to this married man and woman was have sex. I don't know if that's strange to you. Um, if you ever thought about that? That's a little strange, right? Because if you're on the side of the ditch that says, oh, yeah, I don't want to think about it wrong. I, okay. You might have good reasons to do that, right? But I just want to tell you, God's word doesn't present this topic in that way. It doesn't. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Okay. The next chapter, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, gives more description of what happened when God created Eve. So God created Adam first, then he created a woman, and it says he created Eve, and it says, therefore, because he made her the way that he made her, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Right. Uh, there, there's more to that statement than just they're going to live together, Right? There is, there's sexuality even built into that statement. You probably thought about that before. But he's saying they're going to be one. These couples, whenever a couple gets married, whenever a man and a woman get married, they're going to be one and they're going to be a unit for the rest of their lives until one of them dies. That, that's how God designed it. You think that's not true? Listen to the next verse. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Okay? There's a sexual overtone to this, not a gross or wrong or perverted sexual overtone, but there's a right and good and pure description of what happens when a man and a woman get married, okay? So some of you are on the side this morning that says, I would rather not think about this or talk about this because all sex is wrong, dirty, gross, and bad. That's wrong. You're unbiblical if you think that way, right? But if you're thinking, oh man, the world is full of gross, bad, dirty things that are sexual, you're right, okay? You are right about that. But the concept itself is something that's presented frankly and honestly in the Bible because if you're honest, you know how integral sexuality is to who you are. That's why right now sexuality and how you identify and what you like is like one of the most important things about you to people in our culture. Right? What that's evidence of is how powerful sexuality is. Okay? So those are kind of two sides of the ditch. Speaking of that second side of the ditch, First uh, Corinthians chapter 7 Verses 2, 3, and 4, it says not only is sex like a good thing that God made and, and for a married couple, but it also says that married couples should be, need to be regularly having sex. 
Well, if that's something that you've ever thought about, um, but that's what the Bible says. It's very clear. It says, because of the temptation of sexual immorality, because of this wrongful temptation, each man should have his own wife, and each wife her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. You think, oh, that's misogynistic. Well, listen to the next verse. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. There's this mutual authority that each side has in the context of what? We're talking about, can you get a tattoo or what, how high should your hair be? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about sex, okay? So he's saying, if you're married, you need to be having sex regularly. If you don't believe that, you're in Proverbs 5. Look at Proverbs 5. Look at verse 15. Look at this. This might surprise you. Maybe it doesn't surprise you. Maybe you know your Bible well, but some of us don't as well, and this might surprise you. Proverbs 5.15 says, drink water from your own cistern. Flowing wells, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad and streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. So like, there's all this water imagery. What's that talking about? It's talking about sexuality between a husband and wife. That's what it's referring to. And if you read that back end of what we just read, it says your sexuality is for, for you and your spouse. It's for you guys to share together, and it's not for anybody else to watch or observe. It's not for anybody else to be involved in, and it's not for you, worst of all, to ever go and involve yourself with somebody else. It should be there, though. He says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Right? He's talking to this son. Look at what verse 19 says. This gets a little uncomfortable on a Sunday morning. He calls her a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, right? We don't need any exegesis for that, right? You understand what that means. And be intoxicated always in her love, right? Intoxicated. I thought intoxication was bad. It is bad with wine. It is bad when you get intoxicated with some drug. But he's telling this husband, this son of his, who's going to get married, he says, you need to be super excited about sexuality with your spouse, but only with your spouse. He says, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with the forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress, okay? So all this to say, many of us have an unbiblical view of sex. So what, what are the basics, right? God made it, and it was good, right? Genesis 1 teaches us that, right? It was good before there was sin. God made it before there was sin. He commanded it before there was sin. So it's not sinful. Sex is not sinful. Some of us think sex is sinful. That's not what I'm saying. And a lot of you come in with that perspective, like, oh, he's just gonna say sex is sinful. Sex is not sinful, right? Sexual immorality is very sinful, very sinful immorality, when you go outside of what God commands, when it's ever taking place in a way that God doesn't want, then it is sinful, but it's very powerful. That's why even in Proverbs 6, if you're in Proverbs 5, look at Proverbs 6, verse 27. Look at this before we get to Proverbs 7. He says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? He's giving this fire imagery, this heat. Then he says, so is he who goes into his neighbor's, his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will ever go unpunished. He's talking about sexuality. It's like fire, powerful, strong, can do a lot of good. Also, also, it can, it can burn down the house. It can do a lot of damage. And then that's what he goes into. But I don't want to say and, and present to you Proverbs 7 without you at least seeing the Bible does not condemn sex. It condemns sex in any way that goes outside of God's plan. What is God's plan? That one man would marry one woman and that they would be together till death do us part. Right? That's God's plan from the beginning. Genesis 2.24 says that. A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, then two shall become one flesh. 
And by the way, they're naked and not ashamed. By the way, the only relationship in which that perfect, Edenic innocence continues. I know those are big theological words, but that's the only relationship where that continues. Husband and wife. Okay. One more passage here in point one. First Corinthians chapter six. It talks about sex because there's this problem in the city of Corinth. There are people who are going and sleeping with prostitutes. Right? And you're like, wow, that's really bad. Well, what it was a part of was their culture. They would do worship ceremonies, and part of the worship ceremonies, just to fit in with the society, was to engage in sexual immorality. So Paul has to say, whoa, 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 time out, time out. You need to hear what God has to say about this. And what he says in, in chapter 6, verse 18, he says, flee, run away from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. So you do something, you say something, it affects people, it's bad, sin is bad, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Like you're not just involving, you know, other people in your sin, you're involving yourself. And even before that, he said, you're involving the body of Christ. He says, if you are really a part of the body of Christ, in verses 15, 16, 17, he says, if you're going to join together with a, with a prostitute in, in Corinth, what you're doing is you're joining the body of Christ with this false teaching. That, that should never be. Right? So he says here, flee. It's, not, it's, it's, it's extremely bad. He says, for you do not know, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. When Jesus died on the cross to redeem you and me, what he also did was to redeem our sexuality that we would use our sexuality only for what he says is appropriate and to never use it in any other way. There's a Christian lie that goes around. Um, so many Christians have heard so many Christians say this, that sexual sin is just like any other sin. If you just read this, you heard Paul say it's not just like any other sin. Now, it's got similarities to other sins, right? It can be forgiven, right? It's an, off- it's an offense towards God. Those are similar to other sins. But this says it's worse. What are the ways that it's worse? Because it involves your body and other people's bodies. It involves a connection that's so deep and intimate that anytime that connection is broken, which it all often is, right, that it's going to hurt you and the other person. That's why he says the path of life says sexuality is good and right in its context. Oh, but in any other context, oh, it's going to be destructive. It's going to destroy you. Even if you think it doesn't, in the end it will. So that's a lot of lead up. Now look at Proverbs chapter 7. Look at this warning for this son. Proverbs 7, 1 says, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. That's a reference to your pupil. Right? What's the most like sensitive part of your entire body? Right? It's like if I poked you in the eye. Right? That would hurt more. Like You protect it all the time. You've got eyelids and eyelashes and even eyebrows that keep the sweat out. It's so protected, right? If something scratched your eye, like, you know, if you were to take your finger down and just kind of scratch the inside of your forearm, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, well, do that to your eyeball, right? Do it to your pupil, right? You're dead. <laughs> Not dead, but, you know, blind. It's just, it's just terrible, right? So he says, this teaching about sexuality is so important. You've got to guard it so close to your heart. He says, bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. All this imagery to say, care so much about this. He says, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Right? You just want to be tight with wisdom. You want to be close to it. To do what? Verse 5. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Then he's going to tell a story. Verses 6 all the way to 23 are a story. 
that Solomon tells to his son. Now, whether the story is a real story or a, or a compilation of his stories or just an imaginative, it's like this parable type of thing, right? Either way, he tells a story, and this story is powerful, and we can learn a lot from it. Look at verse 6. Solomon says, For at the window of my house, I've looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. So who's the audience here? Right? It's a father telling the son this, right? So he says, hey, there's people that are just like you. Simple, right? They haven't learned all the ways of the world yet. They're just in that stage right now. You're going to be shaped in whatever way you're going to be shaped. Solomon says, I've seen people just like you, son, who've been outside and passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. All this emphasis to say, this dude starts walking physically down the wrong path. He puts himself in way of danger. Now, that's the first big thing I want us to learn from, from point number two. I want us not to be naive, but I want us to admit that we're vulnerable to sexual sin. That's the first step for you. Don't be naive. Don't be simple like this guy. And you need to admit, I'm vulnerable to this sin. Some of you think, I would, oh, no, it's never going to happen to me. Right? You need to be careful. That's naive. Naive for any one of you to think. I don't care if you're a homeschooler. I don't care if you're a public schooler. I don't care if you're a freshman. I don't care if you're a senior. I don't care you know, who your parents are. You are vulnerable to this sin. And if you ever think you're not, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, take heed lest you fall. This guy didn't think he was vulnerable either. His first big mistake is he, he goes where he shouldn't go. That's a good insight. If you know that you're about to be set up for a trap, and if you buy the premise that sexual immorality is a trap, and it's a powerful one, then the first step is don't go where you shouldn't go. You need to avoid places that are going to bring you into sexual immorality. There are places that you could walk. There are places you can go on your phone. There are places you can go with people in conversation, whether they be physical places or just mental places. There are places you could go that will lead you straight towards sexual sin. The first thing you need to do is don't be naive. Know that you're vulnerable. So you need to be aware that you could walk yourself straight into this sin. If you were to interview this guy, this person in the parable, after it all happened, he'd probably say, I wasn't, I wasn't looking for her. I wasn't going out to try to you know, have sex with somebody. That's not what I was doing. That's not how he's presented. He's just presented as a simple guy who's walking where he shouldn't walk. But that's where it starts. You need to be careful that you're not where you shouldn't be. We should learn this not just here, but there's a most famous person in the Bible who ever committed adultery. is David. David. It all started in the way that God's word presents it. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says it was in the spring of the year the time when kings go out to battle, but David sent Joab. So David should have not been at home, right? What happens at home in Jerusalem in the springtime for him? All of his men are gone, and he should be there with them. But where is he? He's at home. David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites, right? They, they were doing really well. His army was doing well, and he had all these excuses to say, I don't need to leave the house today. Because all my work is getting done for me. It's fine. I don't, I don't need to leave today. I don't need to leave this season. 
But David remained at Jerusalem. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. And then he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And then it goes on to talk about how he commits sexual immorality with her. But where did it start? It started with him not being in the place that he should be. It started with him being lazy. Do you know that sexual sin often starts with laziness? Pastor Jacob talked about that last week, about the sluggard. Some of you think, oh, I don't struggle with sexual sin, but I'm lazy. Well, then you're probably on the road to being tempted with this even greater sin. It starts with laziness. Why would David be arising from his couch in the late afternoon? What was he doing? He was sleeping. He was not doing what the Proverbs said about getting up, going out, doing work. He wasn't working. He was lounging. That's why even sexual sin can be easier at a time where you're not in your normal pattern of life. It's easier to fall into temptation when you're not disciplined in what's normal. That's why even summertime might be the hardest time for you to avoid sexual immorality because things are different. For some of you, with sexual sin, whether it be sin with another person, whether it be sin by yourself, whether it be pornography or something like that, the first step is you need to not be vulnerable and realize like you are in a position where you're being tempted and you could fall for the trap. Some of you just need to stop what you're doing, put the device away, get out of the car, walk around, turn the lights on, whatever, and just, just change your environment for a second. Reset. Get up. Walk around. Right? Don't do what you were doing because you're on this path to temptation. You need to stop. You need to do what 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, that verse we already quoted. Flee from sexual immorality. Run away from it. Right? There's a time where a young man in the Bible was tempted to sin sexually, and he said no. David said yes. This guy said no. It was Joseph in Genesis 39. There was this lady who is likely extremely attractive, the wife of a very powerful person who had her eyes set on Joseph. And Joseph multiple times had to say, no, no, no. And then one time, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And instead of being like David and lingering there, said that this lady, she was the aggressor, she wanted to have sex with him. She even grabbed his clothes and held on to him. But it says he just like let her take the jacket and he just shook it off and ran out of the house. It embarrassed her so much that she got so mad at Joseph that she got him put in prison and said he was trying to abuse me, which was not what was happening at all. He got accused, falsely accused, and put in jail for it. But he did the right thing. He ran away. He didn't engage in the sin. And God rewarded him for that in the end point here, right? If you're in Proverbs 7, just jump back to Proverbs 6 real quick. I read part of this. Proverbs 6, 25 through 35, earlier talking about sexual sin. It says, starting off in verse 25, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Remember, he's talking to this son. Right? It can go the other way around for you ladies, right? Don't desire his beauty. You might not call it beauty, but whatever. Um, don't let her capture you with her eyelashes. There, there are some of you right now who are in relationships, maybe dating relationships, where the other person 
whether it be a girl or boy, is actively trying to get you to commit sin. Some of you are in those relationships right now. This is don't be captured by that. Distance yourself. Don't. Maybe a lot of you just need to break up. Others of you, right, going back to that, are in dating relationships, and you're the one that's the problem. You're the one that's trying to convince her. You're the one that's trying to convince him to cross boundaries, to do things you shouldn't. You're, you're the Proverbs 7 woman. You're the problem. You're trying to bring someone else into your sin. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, God is an avenger of these things. God's an avenger. That means he's going to pay you back for what you did. This text says, don't desire it. He says in verse 27, you can't carry fire close to your chest and not be burned. You can't walk on hot coals and not be scorched. Okay. Back to Proverbs 7. Look at verse 10. The story continues. Here in the story, it says, and behold, the woman comes to meet him. She's dressed as a prostitute, and she's wily of heart, which I don't know why they translate it wily. I don't know what wily means, uh, but I do know what that word means. Wily, that word, the Hebrew word that's translated that, means guarded. It's very interesting. It actually means um, that this woman, as she's coming to meet him, it's an ironic statement. Right? So she's dressed like a prostitute. What does that mean? Right? It means she's showing off her body in a sexual way to try to gain attention from whoever she interacts with. Right? That's kind of what the idea. Um, so with her clothes, she's open to everybody, right? That's the concept. But in her heart, she's closed to everybody. It's, it's supposed to be this like play on words. Her dress, she's, she's appealing, she's alluring, she's attracting everybody. But in her heart, she'll never tell you what she really wants or what she's really feeling. Let's go the other way around too. There are guys that present themselves in such a way that try to attract sexual attention. But ladies, you don't really know what's in their heart. And perhaps they have a guarded or wily heart. They're there to use you, never for your benefit. He says she's loud and wayward. Her feet don't stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market. And at every corner, she lies in wait. What's the whole point? She's constantly looking for people to sin with her. That's very important. Because she's going to say some things later in this text that are going to be false. She's going to lie a couple times. One of the lies that she's going to have is that she's looking for this particular guy. That's not true. She's looking for whoever's going to be right in front of her, whoever's going to be stupid enough to commit sin with her. That's what, he, that's what she's doing. It's important that you don't be naive. It's also important that you don't be gullible. Right? And I say all that because she's about to tell some lies to try to persuade this guy to commit sin. And I just want you to recognize a lot of the lies that surround sexual immorality. So point number three, I want you not to be gullible. Don't be gullible, but identify the lies of sexual sin. To identify what is not true. Because there's going to be things that you feel. There might even be things that people will say to you that are not true. I want you to see what those are. Because here's the other option. You can be gullible and you can fall for it. Many of you have fallen for it. And many of you are not gullible anymore because you have fallen for it. Like, oh, never do that again. I don't, I'm not going to believe that guy when he tells me that all he wants is me. And I'm the only one he wants. It's not true. I'm going to fall for that when that girl is inviting and even sexually inviting and she says, it's only for me, only for me. Yeah, until it's for somebody else. It's really just for whoever's right in front of her. Obviously, this goes both ways, not just guys, not just girls, but 
This does go both ways. Basically, Proverbs 7, 10 to 20 is this like step-by-step illustration of what seduction looks like. Yeah, so it starts with the way she's dressed, grabbing attention with her looks. Then it's to her heart. She's wily of heart. The irony is she's showing off her body, but she's actually not really showing what's in her heart because she doesn't really care about you. She's trying to attract people who are walking where she walks. That's why the father says, stop. And that's why in this text, right, it's hard because some of you are like, you're like snickering along to this sermon because you're like, ah, so stupid. Well, I don't know why I even care about this, right? Well, maybe it's because you're the Proverbs 7 woman, right, whether you're a guy or a girl. Maybe you're reading this being like, yeah, that is what I do. Yeah, that's funny. Um, well, then that's even worse for you. But others of you recognize the danger that you're in constantly, not just from the people that you know in your life, but also, also people that you've not met before, they're trying to get you to sin. I want you to identify these lies. Here's the first lie. Look at verse 13. First of all, she seizes him and kisses him and with bold face says, I had to offer sacrifices and today I've paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you. Okay, is that true or is that false? It's false. It's a lie. She's not come out to meet him. What did, what did he already say about her? She's, she's, she belongs to the streets, literally. She's just everywhere. She's in the streets. She's in the market. She's on the street corners. She's there for any guy who's stupid enough to fall for her. So when she says, hey, I came to look for you, that's a lie. Okay? Here's one of the big lies of sexual sin. Somebody will tell you, you are the only one I want. You're the only one I want. I love you. You're the one I want. Okay? If that statement or concept comes at the same time that sexual sin is being offered to you, can I just tell you something? The person who said they love you, the person who said you're the only one I want, they're lying. They're not telling you the truth. It's not true. They're lying. Because if you are the only one they want, and they do love you, you can always use this line on them. Okay, well then, get married. Don't be with anybody else. Oh, man. I don't, I don't want to do that. Let's just do it right now. Well, that's, that's my terms and conditions. Oh, I don't know if we can be together then. Oh, sounds like it's not, I'm not really the one you want then. Sounds like I, you don't really love me. Or that I'm, see how it's just so simple. It all breaks down. It's a lie. Right? Some of you have been lied to. Um, yeah. This whole concept, right? She starts out by grabbing him, kissing him. Again, if you saw that, you know, at San Juan Hills High School, you'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, average day. But if you saw that, you know, in Israel, sorry, Sam Juan. Your theme verse is Jeremiah 5.20, the well-fed, lusty stallions. Um, sorry, that was a joke from high school. There you go, came back. Um, the hawks are just as bad. The Diablos, I mean, they're really bad, right? The Tritons and the, the dolphins. The dolphins, they seem really cute, but they're not, you know? Wolverines, it's like stinking in your name, right? The cougars, like, <laughs> in your name too, right? The Mustangs, like, come on, guys. Let's, let's come up with better, better names, guys. Come on. Oh. What was I saying? Yes, if you saw this in Israel, it would probably freak you out. Someone starts making out with somebody on the street, be like, whoa. This is really bad. Like, what is going on here? So this is like a brazen, over-the-top act of sexuality. 
She grabs him, lies to him. Says, you're the only one I want. Some of you think, okay, the person who wants to commit sin with me, at least they're telling me I'm the only one they want. They're telling me I want to get married to you, but let's commit sexual sin. Can I tell you? Um, if they're telling you, hey, I want to marry you, I want to be with you, but let's commit sexual sin, I hope you understand how this all works. Let's just run the clock forward a little bit. Okay? You are an out-of-bounds sexual partner when you're dating, correct? Okay. When you get married, now you're an inbounds sexual partner. How, how do you think that person is going to act with other out-of-bounds sexual partners? You think they'll love you? You think that when you're 45 and he meets someone who's prettier than you and younger than you, you think he'll just, like, not pursue that? Like, how stupid are we with all this? We're stupid sometimes because we're blinded by what we want. We're dating, right? You want to get married. Boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't have self-control with you. I don't know why you think they will with all the people that they'll interact with when they're married. He'll meet someone prettier than you. He'll meet someone younger than you. Oh, and so will she. She'll meet someone who's more attractive than you, guy. No offense. Um, she'll meet someone who's more charming than you, who's nicer to you, nicer than you, and, and cares for her emotions maybe in a way that you don't. And for some reason, if you think that you were able to be sexually pure when you were dating, if you think that that's going to work out when you're married, you've got another thing coming. Careful about this. And by the way, I mentioned pornography. You know, pornography is built on the lies of flattery. It's all about boosting the ego of the person who's receiving whatever thing that they're watching. It's the same thing as this. I've come to find you. I've come to meet you. No, you haven't, right? It's not true. It's a lie. It's flattery. Right? So this, this lady's flattering him. That's the first lie. It's flattery. Secondly, she says, hey, I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen, and I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. She basically is saying, I have the perfect place for this. And what a lot of scholars have noticed is you see all the senses brought into this, right? All the good food and all the good linens. And it's like, this was like a rich spread. It doesn't sound so great to you, but like, you know, this was like the best of the best. This is a private jet. This is nice cars. This is good food. This is expensive clothes. This is like, hey, I've got all of it for you. And the point is, he's trying to say, even if you're offered all of this, like this guy was, you'd be a fool to bite. Have the perfect place. It's another lie. Oftentimes, this happens more maybe with couples who are, are dating. It's like you've got a place that you like to go, and the reason you like to go there is because other people aren't there. Well, have you thought twice about perhaps why your boyfriend or girlfriend wants to take you to that place? Right? Or are we just blinded by what we want? Or, or are we being stupid? whether you are the one who planned that or not. If you've got a place that, that's private and secretive like this, that's filled with all the good things, if you think that that's not going to help you take steps towards sin, you're a fool. Verse 18, she says, Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Right? There's no more strong way of putting it than that. Right? By the way, like using that word love, love, love over and over again, that's also the way that Song of Solomon presents the word love in a marital context. And the point is, this person... Or this, you know, this, this other person is going to present themselves in a way that seems like exactly what you want, but really it's not love. And she says, let's take our love till morning. 
right? This is a one-night stand type of thing, right? Like, you know, hey, just tonight, but, but all night just tonight, okay? Um, that's a lie, too, right? That for some reason, if you think that any kind of sexual encounter will last just for that time, and the consequences will only be felt for that time, that's also stupid of us or foolish. We need to get that out of our thing. It's naive or gullible to think that. Yeah, another lie is just, it's just for tonight. Um, yeah, she offers him food, sex, no commitment. Um, what she's not offering is the massive consequences that go along with this. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but all sex has consequences. All of it does. Always. Uh, whether you're married or not. Right? When you're married, and it's between a husband and wife, I don't know if you've ever thought about the consequences of that. There's a lot of consequences. There's closeness, intimacy, Love, connectedness, reconciliation, perhaps, harmony, right? And then physically, you know, kids come from that. So the consequences to sex are all good, right? What are the consequences to sex if you're not married, right? Shame, guilt, revenge, perhaps, from a spouse. And he talks about that in Proverbs 6, right? You cheat on somebody with somebody else because you feel like it, right? There's revenge coming from the other side. Sexual diseases, unwanted pregnancy, shame, reproach for decades. The fact that you're also going to have to tell your future husband about this, your future wife. When your kids ask you, you'll probably tell them. The guilt and shame, like it's, just, it's just overwhelming how much destruction can take place from one night, from one decision. So he says here, in verse 19, she finishes this by saying, my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bat of money with him. And that full moon, he'll come home. Idea is, hey, we got a couple weeks. He's not coming home for a couple weeks. This is one of the greatest lies of sexual sin. Nobody will know. Nobody will know. Nobody's going to find out. Right? Whether you're talking about premarital sex, whether you're talking about adultery, whether you're talking about pornography, that's the greatest lie of all of it. Nobody will know. But what's not often thought about is lots of people are going to know. Like lots. Like your family at some point and your kids at some point. When you're the person who committed adultery, well then a lot of people are going to know. Boyfriends, girlfriends, people at your church. I mean, just it just goes so much further than we think. Which is why it's, this is just like the strongest warning possible. If you think that nobody was, is going to know, people are going to know. Look what he says next, verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. So technically, the story's over. Now it's the father coming back in to describe what happens. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. It's bad because that conversation of, with her talk, with, with what she appeals to him, he follows. It's like, but the father started off by saying, listen to me, listen to me. But no, he's like, no, I'm going to listen to her. It's like the, the juxtaposition. Like, who are you going to listen to? And all at once, verse 22, all at once, like in one motion, it was temptation, 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 maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit, boom, all at once. That's the description. All at once. He follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, and as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. When oxes walk to the slaughter, it's stupid, right? Because they're using their legs and their power to walk to their own death. 
lot of oxen. They don't even need to be driven to the slaughter. They'll just stupidly walk there. That's the description of walking into sexual sin. It's like you're using your own power and your own two legs to go in a place where you shouldn't go that's going to kill you in the end. Doesn't know what's going to cost him his life. Point number four, I want you to fear the massive consequences of sexual sin. You're like, man, I don't think I should fear. You should fear. There's a lot of things that you should fear. When you're a little kid, your parents teach you to fear walking out in the street. Man, if I can just teach Eden to fear walking out into the street, man, it'd be really good. But she doesn't fear it yet. I'm trying really hard. Right? I want her to fear walking in a place that could kill her. You should fear. You should think of the conversations that you're going to have to have. You should think of looking your kids in the eye. I know it's hard for you to imagine right now, but you got to think about what that's going to be like. You got to think about your family knowing and your mom and your dad and their mom and their, like, it's just this massive repercussions of like, oh, so much. All at once. Look at verse 24. He says, and now my sons, oh sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. And don't stray to her paths. Like the start of this is in your heart. Just like we learned from Proverbs 4. Your whole life comes out of your heart. So this starts with not desiring it. Not desiring sin. Don't stray into her path. And also don't walk in a way that's going to make this harder for you. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. It's like, do you realize that the, the Proverbs 7 lady is described as this lady? She's like a serial killer. Right again, she's not a serial killer. She's not out like murdering people, but what she is doing is committing sexual sin. And here's what he says. Like the, the wake of destruction of a person who's doing that, which by the way might be you, you might be like her, leaving a wake of destroyed lives behind you. He says, oh, all of her slain are like a mighty throng. It's describing like this army of people who've died from this one soldier. Think about all the people that have had their lives ruined by sexual sin. All the kings and generals, all the politicians and the diplomats and the successful people and the businessmen. Think about all the pastors and all the small group leaders, all the dads and all the moms who've been taken down by this sin. He says, look at that. Look at the dead. It's a description. of like, you're walking into a mass grave and you're looking and you're recognizing all these faces of all these important people. And he says, man, a lot of people have fallen to this. Don't you be one that does. He says, her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Sexuality is powerful. It's strong. It's not wrong except for when it's wrongly pursued at the wrong time and the wrong place. It's a good gift. It's a flourishing gift, literally. It's, it's, how, it's how you're going to have kids one day, right? It's, it's, it's literally a reproducing, flourishing gift that God has given for your benefit, for your pleasure, for your enjoyment, for your reproduction, and for God's glory. But when it's misused, like it so often is, like this text is talking about, the destruction is, is even hard to calculate. The path of life does not... Like you might be hearing this thing, well, he's just saying like it's all bad, it's all bad. The path of life is not like a sexless life. Purity is not sexless. Purity means doing the right things in the right way at the right time. It's not a lack of all this. Proverbs 5 makes that clear to us. The path of life should be free from sexual sin. And by the way, many of you who are Christians perhaps are in some kind of sexual sin. Many of you non-Christians, maybe that's the reason you don't want to become a Christian because you want to give up sexual sin. Well, at some point you will give up sexual sin. I don't know if you ever thought about that. It will be over at a certain point and it'd be better for it to be today 
than later. So I hope that even this sermon, this serious topic, will cause some repentance and some confession towards God about our sin. And pray God would help do that right now. God, please. We know this is serious. We see here it's a life or death thing. Pray that we take our sexuality seriously, that we'd use it in the way that you'd want us to, that it would be part of our flourishing on the path of life. Pray that we'd confess sin, that we'd seek forgiveness from you, and that we would really truly repent. Pray that we'd even ask other people for help in this area. We need it. We pray that we would be a more pure church and a more pure ministry here, here in True North, as a result of us taking this sermon and this text seriously. We know that all your rules and all your promises are for our good. They're not to take anything good away from us, but to save for us what's going to be most satisfying and fulfilling. So I pray that we trust that and believe that and live accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.